Welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast for lit lovers. In today's episode, we talk with S.D. Smith, author of The Green Ember Stories, and we have great news. S.D. has offered to inscribe new copies of his entire series to the winner of our latest listener giveaway contest. You can enter by heading to our website after the podcast. Search for Podcast Episode 23 in our resources section. You'll find details of the contest in the notes for this episode. Meanwhile, let's join the great conversation in progress. Welcome back to Bibliophiles, everyone. Adam Andrews with you once again, joined as usual by the rest of the Center for Lit crew, including my lovely wife, Missy. Hi. My radiant daughter, Megan. Hello. My son, Ian. Well, hey. And his world-class wife, Emily. Wow, hello. <laughs> That's a lot to live up to already, isn't it? Well, glad to be with you guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We have a special guest today, which gives me another reason to dispense with the formalities. And I am excited to welcome him onto the program today. It's S.D. Smith, author of the middle grade adventure fantasy novels, The Green Ember, the Black Star of Kingston and Ember Falls, which is the Green Ember book two. And as I understand it, published earlier this year. And, you know, by way of introduction, we could have cooked up an intro with accurate and informative details, politely intoned. But instead, <laughs> I want to read from Sam's own website in hopes of encouraging a new tradition in short, pithy biographical statements. His website reads like this. Listen to this, you guys. Sam Smith lives with his wife and four kids in West Virginia because it would be weird to live with someone else's wife and four kids in West Virginia or anywhere else, right? His collaborative website, Story Warren, is an artful ally to parents who are eager to foster imagination at home, which is something I'd like to talk about as soon as we get done here. Sam is a soccer dad, defying the critics who insist it's communist kickball. <laughs> While not being a communist, he enjoys connecting with his kids over the Bible, literature, music, free market soccer, and that noise where you put your hand under your armpit and flap it like a chicken. Oh, I'm familiar with that, yes. I have a husband who does that, too. I love this guy already. His beautiful wife, Gina, is the heroic heart of their home and is spectacularly tolerant of soccer and strange guffaw-inducing noises. <laughs> We're excited to have Sam join us on Bibliophiles today to discuss his books, body noises, and whatever else strikes his fancy. <laughs> Sam, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Whoever wrote that was must be a genius. It's, a, it's, it's got the marks of genius all over it. I'm still kind of stinging from not being described as radiant, but uh, that's all. <laughs> At least you weren't described as communist, so we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, let me start by just uh, first of all, we're so glad to have you, and so so glad that you could take some time to talk books with us. We love books around here, obviously, um, but it's really a, a distinct pleasure to welcome a writer onto the program. We've done it a couple of times in our short history on Bibliophiles, and we, we really love rubbing shoulders with writers. So give us a quick introduction to your history as a writer. How long have you been writing stories? And in particular, how did you get started on uh, the one that you're most famous for already, The Green Ember? I, I kind of came at it sideways. I, I think, you know, you, you, you probably could have done better in choosing a writer to rub shoulders with me. So, uh, <laughs> my, your evaluation process, I don't know. Um, but, uh, I've been writing off and on since I was a little kid. I, I kind of fell in love with the box star children and the Chronicles of Narnia and Lassie when I was really little, not, mm. not reading them myself, but have been read to me. And I, that is, you know, like, like it does for kids, you know, you, you see the karate kid and you just want to do the crane technique all the time and, uh, <laughs> and, and or, or, or whatever. And, and so I, when I wasn't, didn't want to be playing uh, football for West Virginia or um, doing the crane technique, I, I wanted to write uh, laughing stories. And, and so I did that when I was really little and um, I, I wasn't really a reader though, which is, which is people find odd. I think I, I kind of fell into that. Uh, that trap that I think a lot of young boys do, but I know at least a lot of young boys in, in the culture I, I grew up in and, and still live in, it, that, that, that reading is kind of a feminine thing that girls read and, mm -hmm. you know, just um, like flap their arm under their, their, their hand under their arm like a, like a chicken. 
no strange noises, um, <clears throat> which I haven't outgrown apparently. But no, so so I kind of fell into that trap, and and I didn't. So I had this sort of early enchantment with reading, I would say, and in, in, in a way, and it was it was through the the oldest form of being um, read aloud to or told stories out loud. Yes. But then I, there's sort of like um, the dark ages for me in, in, in that regard, and that that it, there was always that always still felt connected. I always still I felt like I I uh, lit up um, around storytelling, but I, I didn't. I was sort of ignoring that, I guess, for, for many many years. So it was I was a probably a a late teenager when I rediscovered as a as a passion or I really discovered reading as a passion and, and storytelling and that was through I read uh, my, my brother gave me a copy of Ender's Game um, and I read that and, and I, I thought wow reading can be amazing and this wonderful experience and went from there to, to Tolkien and, and mm. really quickly was was into Tolkien and Lewis and and uh and really got once a friend took me to see a, a play, uh, The Tempest, and so I sort of fell in love with Shakespeare. And it kind of, I kind of got this. Um, it was almost like it was all building up, waiting for me. And then when I, when the dam crashed, uh, I just was that was my world. Um, but it was funny that people. I was more of an athlete, more of kind of a, a jock. So so I so I, but I loved I loved storytelling. I always did. And 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 kind of this was sort of a recovery, I think, in many ways. So I fell in love with that. And I and I wrote here and there. I write poetry, you know, horrible poetry, like every angsty teenage kid would. <laughs> um, especially in the many years I was pining for my wife, I finally wore her down. And. Uh, <laughs> I, but I wrote here and there, and, and I always sort of had that in my heart, yeah. even from, from a young child, that I wanted I wanted to do that. But I, I didn't really take a sort of traditional path. And even still now, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a little bit embarrassed when people ask me a lot of writing questions because I feel like I'm, I'm the least qualified person for this. Because I did, I sort of, it's almost like a, you know, have a, we grew up in country churches, and, and you know, you might have a, a pianist who can't read music that sort of just plays by ear and kind of just knows the hymns, and yeah. I feel like that's the sort of the, the that's kind of the writer that I am. I, I'm not probably the best at even explaining like the way you guys do so well. I mean, we use your a lot of your stuff, your curriculum for our homeschool, and and my wife uses your teaching the classics, the Socratic method stuff, and like that's that's new to me, honestly. Like even still, some of that is new to me. I feel yeah. like I, I know it. <laughs> by ear but i don't know i can't read the music really well mm, interesting but, uh, this is turning into like an andrew kern length answer so i gotta i gotta, gotta cut it off um that was a kern burn right there um, <laughs> but, uh, here's the his long answers are, are much more valuable but basically i guess so so i, I wrote here and there and then then uh I wrote actually a couple of novels that I just didn't think were good enough to, to really share. Um, one, I sort of had a brief flirtation with trying to share it. And I think I learned like, oh, that's, that's not right. You know, it's kind of the, the old um, cliche of, of, of novelists who write something and then they stick it in a, in a desk drawer right. and they just kind of forget about it, but they kind of needed to, needed to do it. And I think I had something like that experience. But the story that, that the people know me for all across the, the galaxy and lands and every tribe and tongue <laughs> is uh, the, the, I'm joking, I'm exaggerating there slightly. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the Green Ember, the, the, that came from a real sort of authentic um, place. I mean, I, I, those are stories that I told my kids for, for many, many years. And it started just sitting on the porch in our old country rural home in West Virginia. And I'm sitting there with my daughter, my daughter, who's a toddler. And, uh, she, you know, I'm just telling her stories about the rabbits that are hopping around in our yard, kind of the, the wild rabbits. And, and it just sort of, it was a real simple story to begin with, you know, like you, like you do for little kids, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more moral. And I'm kind of telling her, you just, just sort of making it real clear, putting the cookies on the, on the bottom of the shelf. But as she got older, it, the stories got a little more uh, intense and her brother came along and, you know, there's an older brother, younger kind of dynamic. And, and you can see sort of where the characters uh, the main characters in the story are an older brother and a younger sister. Mm -hmm. I mean, an older sister and a, and a younger brother. And that would, they, would just, they just couldn't get enough of them. So that ends up being like a eight to ten year rough draft. And, uh, wow. and, I, and it was a great experience for me because I got, to, I got to see what sort of paid off. You know, mm. in the, the climax of The Green Ember, I, I knew, you know, for, for many years before I wrote that down. And so I loved it. I, and, I, and I got to see what that felt like for them to have this story build up 
And then for this climax to happen, and I just saw the you know the light in their eyes, and I got to experience firsthand. And I thought, well, that's that's a good feeling. I like that, and I loved it too. And we were experiencing it together, and most of it was kind of improvised on the spot, and well, all of it was improvised on the spot. And so having all that as sort of a background, uh, as I had that kind of as luggage, I had that in my locker to kind of take yes. with me when I went to write the green ember. And so and, and, that, and the story grew a lot. There's a lot of things that happened, like significant things that happened in the story uh, that, that's written down that, that didn't happen in the, in the first versions. Uh, but, the, but I think the heart was there. And um, so it's, it's a story that's really, you know, you think about writers who and I feel like you guys are just so educated, so so knowledgeable about children's literature, about literature in general. And, and I love that. I love listening to you guys and learning from you. Um, and I know a lot of writers, that they'll sort of study the market and they'll study this about children. Okay, what's hot right now? Or what, what made this thing successful? And and sometimes that's just like due diligence. Sometimes it's like cold calculation. Right. Th- this was just a really authentic experience for me. And, and what I thought, that I've said this before, but what I thought happened when the book was done was I thought I've written a book that I really liked and my kids liked, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it's way too mature for little kids to enjoy because the subject matter is kind of uh, bigger, big ideas and a little bit more intense. So little kids won't enjoy it because it's, it's too it's too serious. And then I, but I thought that older kids won't enjoy it because it's bunnies, it's rabbits, and so that there's no way. And so I thought I've, I've written this perfect book that no one will read. Uh, <laughs> fitting right into the, if I'd done any kind of research, I would have realized that no one will read this. this is ridiculous. So anyway, that, that was what I thought. So I was so far from from really uh, understanding or like apprehending the world of like what is what is working and what's not. But that and I think that's actually in the end I probably paid off in a lot of ways as far as my ignorance my, my how oblivious i was that uh-huh. actually helped me to write a story that came from a really honest uh, place that's interesting that you say it came from a really honest place because when when i was a, a father of toddlers and young kids who wanted to sit on the couch with me and have me tell them stories and i was i mean i had the best situation of all time uh, for that, because we were a bookish family anyway. We read all the time. My kids loved having stories read to them. They would have loved nothing better in this whole wide world than for me to spin an epic story about bunnies out for them over the course of eight to 10 years, like you've just described. And I could never sustain it for more than about three days. I would sit there and say, okay, let's do episode four. And I promise you, nothing came. I don't know. So, you, you spun out those slim stories <laughs> around the campfire yeah, for about, a few years. <laughs> about three days at a time. So I'm I'm kind of impressed. I think you sell yourself short when you say you're not, you know, really a writer because there's something in there when you sit down to tell the stories, something as you say, something authentic that comes out in story form. That's really interesting to me as someone who's tried and failed to do the very same thing. <laughs> well, it's, it's probably not as as ideal as it sounds. I mean, it's probably a little you know, it, it was, it's not something that we were doing like every night. It was, you know, we're, 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 again, we're not that family either. We're, we're pretty ordinary people. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was a bedtimes, you know, most bedtimes and on some walks, and, but, but we did, but there was kind of, and they were always, they always wanted more. And so it was kind of like a supply and demand uh, thing going back to illustrate the fact that I'm not a communist. Uh, and I just replied that, uh, <laughs> that <demand. laughs> That, that demand that they had, and and it it did seem it did seem to work, but it, but I didn't plan it. I don't know if that if that makes sense. It wasn't a good, it wasn't a, a calculated thing. It yeah, just, it just sort of had, which feels kind of like it feels kind of like grace. Honestly, it felt, it felt like uh, something I didn't I couldn't have come up with, mm. even though I sort of did come up with it, and that's the whole point of the story. But I, it's it's I I just couldn't have done that. I couldn't have laid that path out. Mm. And I probably wouldn't. Have. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Um, I have a million things I want to ask you, Sam, but I don't want to uh, step on anybody else's toes. Does anybody else want to dive in uh, at any point? Just interrupt me and ask a question of your own. I was just um, uh, thinking about this this slogan that appears um, uh, at least on your website: "New stories with an old soul" is some is the the way your books are described. Can you uh, address that little phrase and tell us what you mean by that? Sure. Um, I think the simple kind of answer to that is, I think, and again, this is something that happened sort of after the book was out. I, I didn't really have like a clever sort of marketing idea um, going into it or trying to create that. But I think evaluating afterwards, I, I kind of felt like that's what it was. And 
I just said that somewhere. I think I said this like a fresh adventure with an old soul, and I thought, well, that's, that's and it sort of built on that new story with an old soul. And, and uh, I think that's true about what it is. And, and in the simplest terms, I think it's just marrying sort of many old virtues with maybe the pace of a modern novel. Mm. But the the better a person who describes that way better is is my friend and and the person who illustrated my books uh, illustrates my books, Zach Franz, and he's. He is. He would. He would be a much better guest than I am. <laughs> uh, he's just a really uh, in the in the long list of people you could have chosen. Um, he, you know, he's fantastic. He's just a brilliant guy. I feel like I'm going to college when I just talk to him on the phone. He's just really sharp and he's mm. obviously a wonderful artist. Um, but he 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 had this sort of he had this little story, this little I guess analogy. Um, but he said he feels like many modern publishers. Um, don't want to sort of publish new books that have those old virtues in them, that it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a cheaper thing. Like if people want what's in Anne of Green Gables or something, some, any, any old sort of a, a little bit older classical, something that feels like it's from an era, like they, they, it's cheaper just to kind of republish those. Those are popular. There's an audience for those. But what, what's ha- what happens, this is Zach's description, is that it feels, it feels like those, virtues that go along with those older books are are sort of like museum pieces mm. they become almost kind of like trapped in amber and that there's something that's on display but it doesn't feel real and yeah. what he said he feels like it's happening with 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 the green ember is that people are seeing those things like out in the wild uh, again uh. uh and i and I feel like that if that's true, then I'm just that's like I, that's something I, that feels a little bit weird talking about my own sort of stories like that. But, but that, if that's happening like that, that would I love that. And, and I do feel like there's there's kind of a hunger. What what we've seen, I think, in, in the response to, the, to these books is that I feel like people are really hungry and there's not that much available. Yeah, uh, maybe that's not true. Maybe maybe that's just because of my own ignorance, but um, which I which I think I've illustrated is pretty profound. But uh, it, it, it's uh, I think. We other I know my basically I, I, this story was written for my kids like for my family and I thought well if this works for us that's great and if it goes beyond that's that's really great it's fine so I feel like we we're just trying to do something that our family is hungry for yeah and I feel like what we found out is that there's lots of families that are really hungry for this kind of thing a, a new story but something that carries uh, an echo of the older virtues that feels connected to oh yeah the, that really resonates with something yeah. we say a lot at Center for Lit when we talk about the classic stories partaking of some eternal theme that one of the reasons we're still reading the Odyssey and the Iliad is because there is a, an eternal uh, truth about human nature and its place in the world that resonates with readers, no matter when they read. And that sort of resonates with this idea of a story with an old soul. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the element of self-sacrifice that appears in the climax of the green ember, you know, love that that motivates someone to lay down his life as it were for his friends um you might you might call that you know an old classic virtue uh, just a minute ago and w- we might say something in the line along the lines of that's a universal theme that's characteristic of human society that always draws readers and uh i was wondering if that's something kind of at what you meant by the phrase new stories with an old soul are those old souls universal themes? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think so. What I'm hearing you saying is that the Green Ember is as good as the Odyssey. Is that, is Pretty that, much. That's <laughs> exactly what we're saying. Precisely. Okay. Yeah, I think that's. I think I agree with that. I think I'll take that. No, no I, I think you're. I, I, no, I think you're right. I, and, and again, it, it it feels funny for me because I'm not a. I'm not a, a you know a super sophisticated or or even like a brilliantly educated person. You know, I'm a pretty pretty simple person, and and uh, but I I feel like you're right. Yeah, I feel like if there isn't, I feel like that the story is at least in some ways feels connected to an inheritance, and and I would say that that's a for me that's an expression of of gratitude and and hospitality uh, as far as. I feel like what's been given to me in, in storytelling from, from Ivanhoe to Robin Hood to Tolkien, many more is just this inheritance of goodness that that's really rooted in a, in a, what I believe is a pretty thoroughly Christian worldview, or, hmm. or at least that it's stories that tell the truth about the world, mm-hmm. which end up resonating with sort of the Bible. And, 
and uh, I feel like I want to, however poorly, I want to live downstream of that. Mm. I don't have any pretensions toward, um, you know, incredible originality or incredible, you know, anything groundbreaking. But I feel like in my life and in, and in this kind of work, uh, I feel like what I want to do is receive and build and, and build whatever I can, which is not going to be something spectacular probably because that's not, that's not sort of who I am, but it's, it's going to be the best thing I can do based on what I've received. And I feel like what I've received and what, what we all have received is, is uh, this incredible inheritance of, of, of wonderful literature. And I, yeah, I feel like it, it's basically just having a sort of an open face towards that mm. instead of having my back turned. I feel like maybe, I don't, I'm not a great critic of modern literature, but I feel like something that identifies a lot of modern art is this sort of, um, I think, foolish belief that we are like creating out of nothing that we're uh. sort of like turning our backs and so much so that we're so angry about sort of our inheritance we're this kind of spoiled little brat that want to like you know peel out in the driveway in our trans am uh, and uh we we just i think we we, we have this sort of rebellious um that, that we almost don't respect anyone who's not you know, profoundly rebellious mm. and i just feel like that i, I want to react to that by, by by saying I, I want to I want to receive I want to understand that this is that we've been given a whole lot and and I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes it for a, for a, I don't know if that makes for a good contrast but that's I feel like that's what's happening mm-hmm. that's interesting that, we've had conversations along those lines here before about the current climate of uh, of fiction generally but maybe even fiction written for young people in particular and tried to fit various authors into, you know, on a spectrum in that climate as contributing to it or trying to stand athwart it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting conversation. It sounds like what you may be saying is that uh, you'd like to stand athwart the current climate in some ways and uh, call us back to something, um, uh, something better, something purer, something mm-hmm. more wholesome that maybe we've been handed down from a long tradition of literature. Would that be fair? Definitely. And again, without having sort of a utopian or even a looking back and saying, oh, the golden era was so everything was so perfect. And with 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 all the necessary caveats, I feel like, yes, yes, I want to I want to work downstream mm. of, of that incredible river. And again, invoking Zach Franzen again, he described going to a, a writers and illustrators conference for children. Uh, for for writers of children's literature, and uh, this was a, uh, put on by kind of a, a, a modern publishers, and he he described going to a session where the, a person in the publishing industry was was giving a, a, a sort of a template, was using the movie Dirty Dancing as a template for what would make a good storyline for a children's literature. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and again, without being too super critical, and I, that's part of not not really my my thing is like to, is to to go look and examine everything and and point out all the ways in which it's flawed. I'd rather just create. I'm, I want to be more of a creator than a, than a critic. Um, but I just feel like if there is something, yeah, I I want to stand in a different place than that, and, and, and uh, pretty far from that if possible. Yeah. Well, I think you do a really good job of doing that. Um, I, I feel like it'd be really easy to be didactic or reactionary coming against that culture, but there's just a lot of love and grace in the works. And I just finished Ember Falls, and I don't want to give away too much because I think I'm, I kind of hoarded it. I think I I'm the only one because I read it first. <laughs> but I appreciate that, you know, you leave the characters kind of in a dark place and struggling there. And it's not like, you're presenting all the answers out straight. I thought that was really great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's I appreciate that. I, yeah, I don't I certainly don't want to. I don't want to write books that are that are all about shortcuts to answers or um, present. Yeah, I, I don't. You guys probably can articulate that better than I can. But I, but I, I appreciate you saying that very much. I, I want there to be questions, and I want to be out there. I really want to tell truthful stories, faithful stories from the character's perspective and Tolkien talked about the Lord of the Rings as a, as a true story uh, not as in the events happened but that they were faith there was a faithful story about the way I'm putting words in his mouth that I think he would agree with but kind of about the way God made the world and that you tell people who were honest with people about it uh, and I, I, I certainly want to do that I, I'm certainly aiming to do that I appreciate what you said it's very kind 
Mm. We talk a lot about the, um, the ability of an artist to faithfully represent uh, what he sees and an artist who's interested in communicating hope and, you know, grace, as you've mentioned a couple of times so far is in kind of a tight spot because on the one hand, he wants to draw the eye up to uh, things above things beyond uh, up to a source of hope. But at the same time, as an artist writing as a human being for other human beings, there's a, a certain responsibility to tell the truth about what we see with our eyeballs and I guess I'm really interested in that conversation. When you're writing for little children, when you're writing stories that you used to tell your toddlers and are now writing for kids their age, is there a particular, do you have to tread with particular care to do both of those things? How, how is it uniquely difficult to write for young children? Well, I, you just, I feel like you just really articulated the, the challenge um, really well. And, and I guess just like every other challenge in life, I feel like I just have to walk through that as faithfully as I'm able, uh, understanding and acknowledging that there will be people who say, oh, my goodness, and I have received emails <laughs> uh, saying this is this is too dark. Why? Why does that be so dark? And, uh, and, and, and I was I bought you know, I received an email recently saying I bought these books for my grandkids and I read them and I can't give them to them. Why? Why does it have to be so dark? Mm. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, I understand that uh, as a parent who's in some way uh, guarding my kids' hearts, like I, I appreciate the challenges parents have, and I'm right in that. I'm right in the middle of that, so so it's not something that's foreign to me at all. And I get it, and and I appreciate the challenge. So so I do. I think about it. I I I don't think. And again, I think this might be uh, at least a sideways critique of a lot of modern literature that captivates us. But I, I don't think we need to. I don't think any of us need to. Um, go so far into the darkness, like go into the darkness for like pleasure or for, or for a, a, like a badge of authenticity or something like mm, that. Like mm-hmm. I really like this because it's, well it's real. Like there's a, there are a lot of real, real things that I do not need to think about. And, right. I, don't need to. and I, and I feel like I've used the example before, but, but there's a difference between a man who goes swimming in a septic tank for fun uh, uh, and one who dives in there to, to retrieve his wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I want to read the the, the, the latter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't want to I don't want to be engaged with the former. So I just feel like there there is a kind of uh, you know there's a there's a I think there's a perversity in in enjoying darkness for its own sake or to feel edgy or authentic. I, I'm not interested in that at all. But that being said, you know, like you said, that you you, you can look up and and uh, you know you can walk into a pit um, by looking up so much that you can't even see where you are. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it's so important for kids to experience, even just vicariously through characters, the darkness um, that is very very real, and that they have a chance to be confronted with it uh, in this empathetic opportunity that, that that living a life through point of view other point of view characters gives you. Mm. And so, particularly with the second book in the Green Ember series, anyway, there's a, there's the Green Ember, and then there's the Black Star King, so much as the, the the little like a kind of like a prequel, and then then Ember Falls. But Ember Falls, you know, it's uh, there has to be there has to be a middle story. There has to be, you know, the Empire has to strike back. <laughs> and and it, well, I mean, you know, that that ends up being the best, you know, widely appreciated as the best of the, of the Star Wars. Oh, movie. for sure. And, and and it doesn't resolve. It doesn't resolve well. And again, you're talking about kids, and I think that that brings a unique challenge because what I hoped would happen with the Green Ember was that enough people would enjoy it. Well, I guess after it got going, I started thinking about you know telling more of the stories. I hoped that I would have enough goodwill built up that I could tell the kind of story I wanted to, which would include a lot of darkness. You know, yeah. It would have. It would be a middle story, and and I, I almost think that that is more relatable. Than, than any other kind of story right now. Mm-hmm. I love like happy endings. I think we need them. I think we need, and, and this, this series is definitely, you use the word hope, and that's, that's, a, that's a big theme in this, in this series, but it, almost, it, can't, it doesn't work unless you have a middle story. And I feel like the, I'm in the middle part of my story right now. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I am right now not experiencing the thing for which my heart most longs. Uh, the kingdom of God coming, and that, that's what I want. And that's what I want my life to be about is anticipating that. And, mm. and so, and I, but I don't have that fully right now, and that is painful and yeah. frustrating. And and you know, I can lose a person. I mean, it, any of these kids reading these books. I mean, some kids reading as young as four, 
but it's probably a little bit better, you know, in the maybe six, seven, eight to 12 range, but whatever, they're, people, these kids, they're capable of losing their parents, they're capable of losing a grandparent to cancer, they're capable of losing a friend or having a sickness themselves. You know, I think uh, ignoring the, 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 the pain and to, to the point where we're, we're not equipping kids and again, I, I don't think of the stories as like equipment or as a, a, like you said, like a didactic kind of tool to like, well, let's, let's walk through grief together. It's not like that at all. <laughs> but I think it serves that purpose best when you authentically try to tell a faithful story, when you try to tell something that's truthful about what it's like when, when people who hopefully aren't too, too awfully cliche walk through stuff that's really painful and how they experience it. And the kid gets a chance to say, well, well, what kind of choices would I make? And, and again, I, I, I have to separate myself because I don't, I don't sit down and think about what are the little virtues I'd like to convey. I, I really don't do anything like that. I, we are glad I, to I hear really it. Really, just think, well, And that's important, but I, I, I in, in my experience, you know, walking through, you know, walking through Mordor with, with Sam and Frodo is, has equipped me in ways that the, the, the very best how-to instructional literature <laughs> Uh, or even maybe a sermon, like have not been able to equip me, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm super grateful for that. And I want to. I, I, that's a gift I feel like I've received, and I want to give that gift. Mm. And, well, that uh, sounds like a your. That sounds like words in the direction of a a uh, a philosophy of of literature. I mean, I, I, as you were talking, I was the question kept popping up in my mind: What do we read stories for? If, as you say, and I happen to agree with you the the purpose of a story is not to teach the virtues or at least not primarily um what is it good for why do we do it why why should we read them why do why are why are we drawn to read stories it sounds like you're an an avid story reader as well as an avid storyteller what is it in the most general sense that draws you to read stories that we could all stand to think about i boy I mean, I feel like a, a good reader should be should be discerning, but should be generous. Um, I, I feel like um, I feel like the best kind of readers sort of accept the invitation the writer is giving, or, or they don't, and and they accept it by reading it, or they don't by not reading it. Um, but I, I I do think there is there isn't a lot of joy in sort of constant analytics, and, and I think I grew up. Um, in a tradition that became sort of that evaluative all the time, you know, influenced a lot by Francis Schaeffer and others, which I think were just doing like amazing things, good, good things. But, but I think I had my, I've had my brain turned on to like, well, what is the content here? And what is the, what are they trying to say? And what's the challenge? And I think there's a way that is um, really, really valuable. Like there's a way of evaluating that you guys do. That's my wife t- describes how her classes just like, they just get into these stories because mm. they, they use that you're, you know, you're, but you're, but you're looking at the story. You're not you know, necessarily like dissecting the virtues. I think when you, if you're reading a book while you're reading it, it feels like the, the, the attitude should be one of, of, um, of sort of accepting that invitation. Yeah. And, I like and, the way uh, you put that. If you, I feel like if you, if you dissect something, it's because you believe it's dead. And I think it's really important to let stories live. Mm. You, you mentioned a minute ago, learning more, I think is, is the, is the phrase you learn, you used learning more from Frodo and Sam as they, as they journey into Mordor than you could have, uh, in a how-to manual or a sermon. How would you describe that? In what way do you learn from a great work of literature? Yeah, maybe learning isn't the best word, but, but I, yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, I've got all the, those terms, but I, being confronted with death and darkness in that way. Uh, equipped me, I think, because it, it, it put me in contact with the, the kind of conflict I think, like you guys described as being sort of universal, mm-hmm. and um, and and gave me examples I wanted to be like, and that I, that I identified with in their weakness, and mm. I identified with especially these hobbits who are so small mm. and and they're not grand and not that big, so I could see this big adventure through their eyes and experience it and uh, access it in a way that I also see, hey, li- you know, little people without a lot of, um, you know, without grand titles mm-hmm. or even all the best equipment are able to make these kind of decisions. So I feel like that, I feel like, you, you, you know, again, on the darkness thing, you know, you can you can turn on a light in a, in a room that has 15 windows and, and during the daytime and it doesn't make much of a difference. But, it, but if you carry a torch into a cave, then, you know, you start to see things. Mm. And I feel like you need 
to um, have that contrast going on. And I think walking through that with characters that you love and that you, um, you know, that you're experiencing this sort of empathetic journey with yeah. is priceless. And I feel like I, I even, I, I, again, I grew up on the Bible and I love the Bible so much. I, I, I'm a great, great appreciator of the Bible and studied it my whole life and, and, and really, really love it. And I love it so much that I feel like I don't have to abuse it as in using it as a tool to try to trick people into learning things about it in a different kind of story. I feel like it's more respectful of the Bible to, to receive it as it is and, like, and, and, and let different callings um, live out mm. the reality of the world God made in, in a way that's, that's not abusive. You know, I, I'll use the example of a tree in a in a valley, if you see a beautiful tree in a valley beside a, a, a brook and the sun is coming through the, the trees and it's gently swaying, you know, your first thought shouldn't be, I need to go carve a Bible verse. Into that <laughs> um, because that's Bible verse and it's worse for the tree. And, and so I feel like respecting, so I think it's the same with storytelling. I think you need to respect the, the art of story, the calling of storytelling and, and believe that not only is redemption true, but that creation is true. And because creation is true, it has these implications for us hmm. about the world, about different vocations. And, uh, and I feel like I'm rambling around on your question, but, but I, so my own experience is that reading the Bible a lot and then reading Tolkien and reading Lewis and reading Narnia, uh, I feel like I love the Bible more because of that mm. than if I had read something that was sort of like a sneaky, and I actually was exposed to a lot of that too, sort of the sneaky stuff to teach you things. I, I, I feel like I was exposed to beauty mm. and truth. Mm. I was exposed to this sacrificial king, mm -hmm. um, like with my guard down. And yes. I, and, I, and I loved it. And I was exposed to sort of these old ideas, these old, really old virtues and, heroism and like chivalric sort of ideas and i saw it and i loved it yes in a way that if somebody had said like oh you just need to love this you need to love what this means you need to love self-sacrifice right that. it's the same in the bible the bible is really similar you know you can say i, I don't you, you need to believe that jesus is powerful right. like i get that um but you, you know tell me you need to believe that jesus is powerful or jesus is powerful that's true but just give me the give me the feeding of five thousand. You know, give me the raving of Jared's daughter. Like, give me the story, and I get it all. I get everything. Yep. In the story. Yep. And and I, when you take the story out, you miss so much. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, it's question. wonderful, wonderful, just to hear you talk about those ideas. That the combination of two of the things you've been saying, I think, really makes a powerful idea together. The idea of of uh, empathy on the one hand that you've mentioned a couple of times of about readers having an empathetic experience. That may be something that's unique to a story, a story presentation of something that to make a connection with the reader and draw him into a fictional world with his heart as much as with his head. And then the combination of that empathetic experience that we can have with stories with the old virtues that you've keep talking about, uh, you've mentioned grace a couple of times, the, the, the grace that is represented in self-sacrifice and the idea of the sacrificial king, that universal idea that I think the human soul is always drawn to and always comes back to. If you can experience a virtue like that, a universal theme like grace in an empathetic way where he identifies with the characters and experiences it for himself vicariously, ah, that's just a powerful a powerful experience. I'm not sure you can have it any other way than in a, in a good story. I agree. I agree. It's been profoundly powerful for me. And, and really the other, the opposite I think is true too, that, that walking through Narnia with Edmund is, is, uh, gives you a, this vicarious feeling of, of being, of, of being faced with making the same kinds of choices. Mm -hmm. Like, do I want to be a character like that? Yes. We, we look at these characters and we say, you know, and, and, I, and I'm not one for like really. I don't enjoy inhabiting like really, really perverse characters. Like I, I, there's a, a lot of dark kind of literature that that's really popular that I, that I just can't myself. I can't inhabit that like as a point of view character. Because mostly because those writers are too good. <laughs> I mean, if you really inhabit. There's, there's, you know, people. A lot of people love Stephen King, and, and and he is such an effective writer that when I've ever tried to read him myself, I've experienced this. It's just you are inside the head of some very, very, um, very evil. Some bad people. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, I, and that's a little too far for me. But, but the point is still true, I guess, about seeing uh, and experiencing uh, life through these other characters and having an empathetic experience that can either say, oh, yes, your heart just burns. And that's what I want. That's what I want to be. That mm -hmm. calls out that longing in my who I, who I am. 
I want to be someone who is who loves and accepts and who's willing to lay down their own life and and fights the urge of the selfishness uh, that, that that's so uh, that calls out so so loudly. I want to I want to say no to that and I want to say yes to this person who I really am and who God's called me to be. But you can also say I, I really want to say no to that. I see what that's like. Oh, and I see myself. Oh my goodness, I see yeah. myself in that character, and 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 I don't like that. I don't love it. And again, that information can be told to you, like, don't lie, like, don't steal, you know, we, the stuff we tell kids all the time, but it's not the same as experiencing it and seeing it and feeling the consequences. Yeah. Even, even if it doesn't come out as like, oh, the bad guy did something wrong and he got it in the end. Like, I think that's great. That's fine. But even if that doesn't happen, you still get to be repulsed. I think yeah. That's right. Give you, give you a feeling, a vicarious feeling of, of uh, repulsion or, or, you know, being a, sort of exalting in, in virtue. My, uh, my experience with Edmund of, from Narnia was maybe similar to yours. I saw myself and, and continue to see myself so clearly in Edmund that it's almost <laughs> embarrassing to read his account. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I feel a little naked um, hearing mm-hmm. how Edmund behaves because I, it's, such a, it's such a sensitively drawn picture of unsaved human nature. You know what I mean? Or used to scrub. Yeah. <laughs> Or any of those characters. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I was dipping back into C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man this morning, reading just that first section in which he describes the state of modern education and talks Mm. about the necessity to educate the heart of the individual, right? right? To Because the heart is the thing that connects the the cold intellect with the growling belly. With the growling belly. It it kind of... um, it mitigates the two. Yes. Right? It superintends them. And that's kind of what I hear you saying, mm. that the job of a, a storybook writer, a, mm-hmm. the job of, a, of an author, is to educate the heart, mm. to engage the heart of the individual with objective truth mm-hmm. that is significant, that is directive, that that resonates with the heart of the universe. In such a way that he longs for it. Yeah, 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 to engage him, to draw him, so that he empathizes with what is good and true mm-hmm. and beautiful and learns to love it through pictures, right? Right. Um, and learns to despise the opposite because the heart doesn't naturally know those things. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can right. know it, right? So the job of the storyteller really being to provide... Um, uh, I guess experiences with reality that demonstrate those good things yeah. that are written into the the natural world, um, but that our hearts have, have lost because of sin. We need to be re-educating our hearts, and we do that when we read books that reflect um, the way the world really is, and that help us to wade through um, those noble things mm. versus the ignoble. I love that idea. The, and going back to the abolition of man, uh, Lewis says at one point in that story, um, words to this effect, your mind can know that it is a glorious thing to die for your country, mm-hmm. but only your heart can make you do it. That's right. Only yeah. your heart can make you love that good thing because your belly will always refuse. So there's a place for the affections. There's a place for that that you're describing the empathetic experience mm-hmm. that causes you to say, Oh, I want to be like mm-hmm. so-and-so and I don't want to be like that, but I am mm-hmm. right. That's really mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. I, totally, I agree that I agree so much. That's, I, I, that's wonderful. And if, if, if that is happening in, in things that I'm, I'm writing, then, I, then I'm just really grateful because I, I'm not, again, it can't be calculating enough to, to sort of sit down and, and program that all out. But I think, I think it, I have to keep my sort of vocation very simple, like uh, tell you, really, really try to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think if, when that stuff happens, then that's just, yeah, you, you talk about Lewis as being so, you talked about him handling Edmund's situation so delicately like I think that was such an example of what what great authors do in in, in that they I think he loved his readers yes and you, you get that if you read his little um his little book letters to children that they published later I yes ever come across that wonderful wonderful little little book and and uh, you, you get his heart that he that he, he wasn't just about um you know, becoming this famous, best-selling, amazing author. I'm sure he probably enjoyed that. He'd be kind of dumb not to, but but he, I think he loved his readers. He loved these kids and he had a tenderness toward them. Yeah. 
um, and I, and you wanted to serve them. And I think that's that's I think that's another that's a contrast I think between Christian vocation and and sort of a a, a modern artist's uh, creed. Uh, being, you know, I'm, I I am such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm the center of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, oh, you don't like my attitude? Well, I'm an artist. That explains everything. Right. And I'm, right. I'm just, uh, <laughs> so I don't really I don't really do laundry or, or manners or things like that. And, oh, how do you? Why don't? You do that? Uh, because because I'm an artist. I'm, you know, I've, I've run into that a lot, and I feel like your kids are confronted with that a lot. Instead of this idea that, that, that being an author, being an artist of any kind is, is another vocation, yeah. another calling from God. And what are all the, all the vocations are about serving and they're all about loving other people mm. from the farmer, you know, to the pastor, to the mom, to the, to an author. And, and it's not, you're not above, you're, you're alongside and mm. you're, and, and, and in my best moments, I am motivated by a, a love yeah. and a tenderness towards these kids, which is easy for me in a way because I have these kids that I am actually literally writing the stories for and they're right in front of my face every day and I love them. And then it's not that much hard. It's not hard to say, like, I want to love these kids and all these kids that are like them you know, right. in the world, but it, it's going, going beyond. I think that you have that in common with all great writers, a, a true love for their, for their readers, for their audience, for the people they, that they imagine will be connecting in an empathetic way with their stories. That's wonderful to see. It's, I'm glad to hear you say it because everyone who's, who's going to hear this episode of Bibliophiles uh, will know that their kids are safe in your hands for the hours that they spend going through your stories because of that very attitude. It's wonderful to, uh, wonderful to hear it. Well, I hope so. I, I, and I, and I don't know how safe they are. <laughs> it depends on what you mean by safe, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I I get what you mean. I, I definitely have a heart of, of uh, and I think fundamentally the, the, this vocation about hospitality and about welcoming uh, mm. children mm. is a pretty significant uh, calling, and yeah. I think it's a heavy calling. Yeah. For for Christians, uh, people who follow Christ ought to be aware of what He says about welcoming children, and 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 uh, and so I think it's a it's a it's an important calling. It's and I feel like neglected to some degree. I think you know in churches there's often you know, when you're trying to find someone to work in children's ministry, it's like, well, find the, the dumbest, most immature people and put them over there with the kids because anybody can do that. <laughs> that kind of attitude, that's that's the worst. I mean, that's a horrible, that's a horrible approach. I and mean, the kids, the kids should be should be getting the best, they yeah, should be getting the best of us. And uh, and 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 uh, I think we, I think you can judge a culture. Uh, by how it treats, how hospitable it is, how welcoming it is towards uh, very little vulnerable children. Mm. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to fit in that. Uh, I want to fit into that. Um, the calling of saying, like, I, I want to operate. I want to operate in love. Um, I am in it just for the fame and the money, but also love. Too, okay, right? fair enough. Fair enough. It's <laughs> a sort of decent combination. <laughs> well, we hope you end up famous. Yes, we certainly do. Um, speaking of that, Sam, where can somebody go to find out what you're up to? Investigate your books, maybe uh, make themselves a general nuisance, uh, put the the hand under the arm and flap it like a chicken? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I, you know, you can – my website is just sbsmith.net, and uh, that's a pretty good starting place. But um, in all the usual places, uh, being, being a nuisance everywhere I go and on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and – and uh, yeah, you can find my books at Amazon or at our um, at our website. We have a we have a little store there uh, if you're if you're interested. So sdsmith.net is where you can go to find out about uh, what's going on with Sam and his books: The Green Ember, The Black Star of Kingston, and most recently Ember Falls, which is The Green Ember Book Two. Missy, another comment before yeah, we just one more question: Anything in the works? Uh, no, that's it. It's, it's done. You read Ember Falls. That's the end of the whole thing. Oh, okay. It will never be. Another. I'm just. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally. <laughs> thought it was a middle story. <laughs> yeah, it's a middle story. Kids would. I would be. I would be crucified. I think. Or uh, I'm, I'm already getting. Uh, you would not believe how many uh, communications I've received that say, "What? What? what? When's the next book coming out?" And so I've, I've, I've left people a little bit. Uh, things are not particularly resolved in Ember Falls. So it's. It's. Uh, the, I'm working on the next books and I hope to do more prequels and uh, sequels. I hope to do another, another Wits and Mariner story or two or three. And, and, uh, and I'll, and then the Grand Amber book three will, 
I'm, I'm working on it. It's, it's uh, as, as, as fast as I can. Excellent. Any, <laughs> the, excellent. any adult books? Because with your sense of humor, we all think we talked before you came on. We think that you should write just a comedy book. Yeah, for grown-ups. <laughs> well, well, it's funny you should say that because I uh, I am very funny, and I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. I did the, the the first the first book I wrote was kind of, um, and then the second one was a novelization of a bunch of short stories I wrote about a fictional little almost like Mayberry-ish uh, kind of uh, Lake Wobegon-y um that was that's all this got all kind of zany. it's 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 uh theoretically funny um and and that's I, I, that's that's definitely a possibility actually it's funny because people who know me or who knew that sort of background work i think they're kind of surprised at how maybe well some people tell me they think the green ember is really funny and i think the, the green ember is not funny. <laughs> that's, in my, those are not like, that's oh, not your audience sam <laughs> <laughs> So I was just thinking, yeah, I was thinking, I know that's 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 not funny. But that's the possibility. I'd love to. I would love. I would love to do. Thank you for the encouragement. Maybe when I when I get oh, you yeah. should, yeah, we'll read it. Oh yeah, yeah. Once you once you've done Good. it, we'll have you back on. We can talk about it we too. Can, yeah, we can swap jokes then. That'd be awesome. That'll be even funnier. Even funnier at that point. It'll be great. <laughs> Well, Sam, I want to thank you for being with us today. That's all the time we have for this episode of Bibliophiles, but it has been a treat as always. Center for Lit crew, thanks for joining me one more time in in a foray into the great conversation. Those of you who are listening to the podcast, we appreciate it as well. Do come by iTunes and rate it for us if you don't mind. And also go by the website at www.centerforlit.com to see what else we have in store for you pertaining to all things literary. Until we meet again, my friends, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy Happy reading. reading. Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit podcast network. Don't forget, you can win signed copies of the entire Green Ember series by entering our listener giveaway contest on the website at www.centerforlit.com. Search for Podcast Episode 23 in our resources section for details. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>